please turn back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. I'll read uh, the first three verses of Genesis 2 again. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now we come this morning to what is, I suppose, a topic of significant confusion, a grey area, I guess, when it comes to practical Christian living in the 21st century. We come to the Lord's Day, okay, the seventh day, the day of rest. And I'm sure you'd agree, wouldn't you, that it is a a day of, uh, it's a topic, rather, of confusion. You know, there's lots of questions and queries that we've got about the seventh day. You know, things like, is the Sabbath still current or has it been fulfilled? Um, you know, is it or is it not or was it not the preserve of a previous generation? Is the Sabbath, Sabbath observance, is that not just for uh, Highlanders, you know, for Scottish farmers and Scottish crofters? Is it really relevant to us? And if it is still applicable, the Sabbath, then what's it all about? You know, what are we to do and not do? What should our priorities be on this divinely implemented day of rest? So those are some of the issues that we've got. And these are some of the questions that hopefully this morning we'll try and deal with and try and tackle and try and answer. So, let's not delay. Let's get into this. And let's consider three points this morning. Three points about the meaning of the day of rest. Three points about the meaning of the day of rest. Let's consider firstly, point one, the essential rest of the seventh day. The essential rest of the seventh day. So what's that? Well, if we look down at the the opening verse of chapter 2, if your Bibles are open and and, and look at the opening verse, what do you see? Well, we see that on the sixth day, God finished. He concluded all his work of creation, didn't he? All that stuff that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, all the creation, he finishes, it's done, it comes to an end. But then what happens? What happens next? What do we see? God completes his work, then what does he do? He rests. Verse 2, he rested. He rested from his work of creation. God rested. So, why did he do that? Why did God rest? What do you think the answer to that is? Now, do you think it's because of the enormity of what God had done? Is it because of that? Is it because, you know, God created the the universe? 
You know, he created all the insects and he created the plants and he created mankind. And he did all of that in just six days. So did God rest because he was tired? Did he rest because he was weary? Well, I hope, I genuinely really hope that that is not what you're thinking. See, what did we see a couple of weeks ago? We saw that creation was effortless to our God. Creation was easy to God. He spoke and the earth came into being. So it's not because he didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because he was weary. Okay, so why did he rest? Well, in Italy, at the moment, uh, there are problems with racism at sporting events. There's been a whole number of incidents uh, where crowds have been chanting racist abuse at players and participants at sporting events. And last week, I think it was uh, last Saturday night, last Sunday night, one of the officials or one group of officials, they, they had enough of this. You know, they'd had enough of the, the racist abuse of the players. They'd had enough of the racist chanting. So what they did was they took the step of taking the players off the pitch. They removed the players. And afterwards, they were asked why they did that. What, what did they think they were doing by taking the players off the pitch? And they said this. They said... They were hoping to set a precedent. They were hoping that other officials would follow their example and that it would lead to an end to that racism. And you see, that, that's what's happening in Genesis chapter 2. You see, God rests, not because he's tired, not because he's weary. He rests to set you and I a precedent. He rests. He has six days of work and then he's got a seventh as a day of rest to provide us with a template, a pattern for how we should conduct our lives. And that's kind of backed up by the language that's used in Genesis 1. Now, have you ever thought, have you ever thought about the fact that what happens in Genesis 1, what God does, is called work. Does that seem very odd? You know, God creates. He makes the most splendid and beautiful creation out of nothing. He creates the, the insects and he creates the stars. In all their glory and majesty and splendor. And what does the Bible call it? The Bible calls it work. Now, does that not seem a rather mundane term to use? Well, part of the reason that the Bible calls it work is to enforce that this is a pattern for us to follow in our work, the Bible calls it work because this is a template 
for our working week. So God rests, not because he's tired, he rests to set a precedent. Okay, that's fine. But why? Why does he set the precedent? Why is rest so incredibly important? Why is rest important? Well, I think we know, don't we? We know deep down what the answer to that is. God sets his precedent because rest is essential to the welfare and well-being of humanity. Rest is essential. It is, isn't it? We know that it is a good thing to be away from work, to take a break from work. You know, we know that's the case. We need time away. Rest is a crucial ingredient to a healthy lifestyle. It is. You see, we sometimes make a mistake when we're thinking about the, the Lord's Day. We make a mistake when we're thinking about the Holy Day. We, we see it as just one of the, the many mosaic laws that were given that the people had to obey. Okay, that's how we, that's how we view it sometimes. But it's not. See, the Sabbath day is, is very, very different. The Sabbath day is special. Now, why is it special? Because it's what's called a, a creation ordinance, isn't it? A creation ordinance. What's that? Well, a creation ordinance is something that was implemented by God prior to the fall. You know, this is what we're looking at. We're looking at Genesis 2, aren't we? This comes before Adam's fall into sin in Genesis 3. Now, what's that about? Why is that important? Well, it shows that this, this idea of rest... It wasn't something that God gave us to help us battle with our sinful nature. This idea of rest was important, even in our purity, even when mankind was in the Garden of Eden, even in our holiness and original righteousness, rest was essential, an essential part of humanity. So that's fine, and that shows us the importance of rest. But what are we going to do with that this morning? Practically speaking, what does that have to do with your life and my life? Well, there's two things, okay? Two things. Follow me here with the application. The first one couldn't be more obvious, okay? Given all we've just seen there, there's a kind of obvious question that we've got to be asking ourselves. Do we do this? Do you do this? You know, are you living in light of the pattern that God's given you for your life? Are you taking a day of rest? Do you live in light of Genesis chapter 2? Are you taking a Sabbath? So that's the first application. But the second one is something that perhaps we don't think about enough, or certainly we don't think about all that often. See, we've seen the benefits of the Sabbath to ourselves, but what about, get this, what about the evangelistic benefits of taking a day of rest? Evangelistic benefits. What am I talking about? 
Well, where do we live? We live in one of the busiest cities in all of the world. Now, folks, imagine what an impact we could have on those around us if in this busy place we were to take a day of rest and if God blessed that witness. Now, some of you are students. Now, imagine what an impact you could have on your fellow students if you took a day rest. You know, when people are doing what they do on a Sunday and they're hitting the books and they're heading off to the library, what an impact, what a witness you could be for Jesus Christ if you said, well, actually, in some ways I'd love to, but, but, I take a day of rest. I take a Sabbath day. And then, what about some other people here? You know, there's so many people connected to this congregation that have got high-pressure jobs, you know? You face pressure to go into work on a Sunday. You face pressure to take work home and do that on a Sunday. Again, what an impact you could make on the people around you if you said, well, no. I've got a different priority on a Sunday. I take it as a day of rest. You see, what we've got to understand is that from the very beginning, the Sabbath was the primary distinguishing feature of the people of God. You see, how did they show that they had a relationship with God? How did they show that? The chief way they did that was to take a day of rest. Now, if we do that, if we treat Sunday differently, then it is a way that we can point to the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. But more than that, if we take a Sabbath day, we can show the people in our lives, we can show our work colleagues and our university friends that there is more to life than just work. So there is essential rest on the Sabbath day. Let's move on. Let's consider a second thing this morning. Let's consider the enjoyable holiness of the seventh day. The enjoyable holiness of the seventh day. Now, one of my favorite things about our congregation is just how sort of multi, multicultural, multi ethnic we are. I know I keep banging on about it all the time, but I think it's marvellous how diverse our congregation is. Now, that's great, but it can lead to occasional problems, even for those of us for whom English is our first language. There's problems, especially when Americans in the congregation are speaking to Brits We are separated by a a common language. Um, And we've we've seen that a few times. You know, a a Brit can speak to an American um, about juice, for example, and it means something different to an American. Or an American can speak to a Brit and talk about, I don't know, a faucet or a 
a sidewalk or something like that, and it'll take it'll take me certainly a minute or two to work out what's going on. There are language barriers. There are semantic problems. And again, that's what we've got here. We've got that with the seventh day. Because you see, I've just done it. And it's been done for centuries. And it's been done throughout the church. We refer to the seventh day as what? The day of the day of rest, don't we? And that's what it is. And there's nothing wrong with referring to it like that. But we've got to be careful that we don't miss the other side of the day, the seventh day. Because it's not just a day of rest. Look at verse 3. It tells us what? It tells us that God blessed the seventh day. It's not just a day of rest. It is a day blessed by God. You see, we've got to understand that that's, that's, a, that's a, an unusual thing for God to do, to bless a day. You see, in, in the creation account, God does bless things. What does he bless? He blesses living beings. He blesses the fish. He blesses the birds. He blesses mankind, living beings. But here he's not doing that. What's he blessing here? God is blessing time. It is a day that is favoured by God. But how? You know, what, what is the content of that blessing? Well, we're told that God makes the day holy. That's the key word. He makes it holy. So what God does is he takes a day, one out of seven, and he sets it aside. He takes one day, he cordons it off for himself. And again, that's unusual because that is the first time in Scripture, the first time in Scripture that God makes anything holy. You see that? You know, before God in Scripture sets apart a people for himself, or before in Scripture God sets apart even a land for himself, God takes, he sets aside, he makes holy one day out of seven. So again, we have to think practically here. We've got to think, okay, what does that mean for how you treat your, your Sunday? What does it mean? Well, it means if it's a holy day, then it's not, it's not just a day of rest. It's not just a day of relaxation a Sunday. A Sunday is not just a day where we chill out and we kind of psych ourselves up for the next week of work. It's not just rest. There's more to it than that. It's a holy day. It's a day for worshipping our God. It has to be a day of worship. Let me... Let me paraphrase what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. I don't know if I get into trouble for paraphrasing the Westminster Confession of Faith or not. But this is what it says. It says, We're not just to observe rest on the Sabbath. We're also to be taken up the whole time in what? In the public and private exercises of God's worship. It's to be about worship. It's to be about worship. You see, our Sundays, 
They shouldn't be dry, boring, lifeless, dull days. They shouldn't be taken up with this whole list of things about what we shouldn't do and what we should do on a Sunday. It's a holy day. It's a day of worship. It's a day for delighting, delighting and enjoying our God. You see, God gave the people of Israel instructions about what they were supposed to do on the Sabbath. He gave his people teaching about what to do on a Sunday, on a Sabbath day. And we know that part of that was rest. We see that in the Ten Commandments, don't we? But what else did God teach his people to do on the Sabbath day? Well, he tells them to spend time remembering what he had done for them. Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy we read this, it says, Remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day because you were slaves. And the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Now, folks, how much more should you and I delight in God? You see, we, we, we weren't set free from Egypt. We were set free from the slavery of sin. Now, come on. You know, our Sabbath days even been moved to the first day of the week. Now, why was that? It's because that was when God raised Christ from the tomb. We have been set free even from the shackles of death. How much more we have to remember, how much more we have to rejoice in on our day of rest. Friends, I would appeal to you Here and now, let's change our attitudes to Sundays. As a congregation, let's change our attitudes to Sundays. Let's see it, yes, as a day of rest. Let's do that. But more than that, let's see it as a day of worship. This is a day for us to delight in our God and to delight in the fact that he has set us free from sin. So the enjoyable holiness of the seventh day, right? Let's, let's end just looking at a third thing briefly. And that is the eternal significance of the seventh day. The eternal significance of the seventh day. Now I went a walk this week, as I sometimes do. And it was one of those... Uh, situations, it's happened to me a couple of times since I moved down, where you go on a walk and you get to the end of the street and no sooner do you get there than the atmosphere changes and the clouds darken over and you realise, okay, there is a thunderstorm coming. I I didn't mind too much about this situation because, you know, thunderstorms are amazing. But sure enough, I took a few steps, a few more steps, and then I felt, you know those heavy droplets of rain you get at the very beginning of a thunderstorm. Well, I felt those falling and hitting me. 
And really, that is the way that we've got to interpret the Sabbath day. You see, we've got to see it as being like those droplets of rain. We've got to see it as pointing, something that points to a coming reality. Something that is pointing to a reality that is greater than itself. You see, a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at Genesis 1, we looked at the repeated phrases in the chapter. Do you remember that? There was a whole host of uh, repeated refrains all the way through Genesis 1, weren't there? Now, I'll ask you a question. Can you remember what the... uh, the expression was that closed each day of the week. Do you remember that? Every day closed the same way in Genesis 1. It closed like this. And there was evening and there was morning on whatever day it was, right? But did you notice when Andrew was reading out Genesis 2 that it's not there for the seventh day? It's absent that expression from the seventh day. It doesn't say, and there was evening and there was morning on the seventh day. Why ever not? Well, you see, you and I, what we do is we rest on the Sabbath day and then we go back to work on a Monday morning, don't we? And if that refrain was there and there was evening and the morning on the seventh day, we might think that's what happens to God. He rests and then he goes back to work the next day but the absence of the phrase it shows us something it shows us that the sabbath is still open do you get it the sabbath is still ongoing god's not gone back to his creative work now why what does that tell us we see the book of hebrews Hebrews equates, it connects God's rest with his salvation. It equates his rest with his salvation. You see, he, is, he stops his work. He stops. He finishes his work. And then what does he do? He enters into relationship and fellowship. With his people, now Adam and Eve, you know, they interrupt that, don't they? They interrupt it with sin, but God has provided a way for that rest still to exist. So friends, hear this. The Sabbath day for Christians, a day of rest, it is much, much more than just one day a week. It points to the rest that we can have in our relationship with God. Now, in some senses, that rest begins immediately, doesn't it? As soon as we become Christians, what happens? We enter into God's rest. But there's also the sense in which a full, a full experience of God's rest... That won't come until we are united with him in glory in heaven. Because you see, in the Old Testament, Canaan, the promised land, 
It was spoken of as being the ultimate place of resting for the people of God. The promised land was where God was going to come and he was going to dwell and he was going to rest with his people, the people that he loved. Well, friends, that promised land, that is what the Sabbath points to. It points to a time where the toil of suffering is going to end. It points to a time where believers are going to be at rest. It points to a time where we are going to worship and delight in our God. And we're going to do that forever and ever and ever. My friend, that's what's on the table this morning. That is what is offered to you through the one that Scripture calls the fulfillment of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. So I would ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you? Well, if not, hear him this morning. Hear him as he speaks to you, as he says to you this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus Christ. Let's pray.